Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. What's up? Hello. And welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. So glad that you found us because, you know, if you're feeling like you've got limited options with regard to what there is for you to do next with your career, if you don't seem to have any like-minded friends or people to talk to, or if you feel misunderstood by your family, all because you wanting to be a real estate entrepreneur, I want you to know that you're in the right place. If the career that you signed up for isn't panning out in the way that you had hoped, if if you're tired of working for someone else's dream to the detriment of your own, if you're starting to doubt if you'll ever be able to take your foot off the gas, I want you to know you're in the right place. Because you know when you when you invest in real estate the right way, you get your family's approval. You get to tell all your friends, I told you so. And you start making better connections and relationships around your aspirations. Because when you invest in real estate the right way, you have more control of your life and more control of your finances. I mean, certainly you are working hard. I'm not saying it's easy. You are working hard, but but you're working hard on your dreams and you can really catch up and and make up for lost time. And, And that light at the end of the tunnel gets closer much, much quicker. This is the place that shows you how to get all of that and then some. Alrighty, so I got a great show for you today as we move in and get closer to uh, closing the loop of the badass investor plan and focusing on the eighth profit accelerator. But uh, but first, a couple quick announcements. I mean, these are going to be really quick. From our contest last week for two free tickets to January's Epic Intensive, we're going to give away three sets of tickets. So two tickets to three different people, right? Each person is going to get two tickets of their own. <laughs> so I've got the winners. Uh, Dwayne Miller, congrats. Gilbert Ross, congrats. Stephen Mendiola, congrats to you. And Gary Abe Abe, I think I said that right. And I know I said three winners, but but we had a tie. And that's how we break ties around here. So all four of you win. All right, so please send an email to melissa at epicrealestate.com. Melissa at epicrealestate.com and let her know that you were the winners of the contest and then she'll get you all hooked up, all right? Second announcement, if you're anywhere near Phoenix this week, this week, that would be uh, 
the uh, 20th, Wednesday the 20th, uh, Wednesday specifically, I'll be taking over the Wednesday Night Club, the Wednesday Night Real Estate Investment Club at the Orange Tree Golf Resort. Doors open up at 5.30, and I'll be covering cash flow investing specifically with an emphasis on long-distance cash flow investing, how to make that work. So if you're in town, stop by, and to RSVP, it's on meetup.com under Wednesday Night Club. It's Wednesday Night Club, and uh, you're going to have to do a little bit of searching for that one. Uh, I think Stuart and I had that discussion last time. I was out there. He was supposed to have this fixed, but you got to do some searching. Uh, either way, it's going to be worth it. All right. So hope to see you there. Oh, and big ups to the people that caught me on Instagram this week. I followed all of you back, just like I said I would. Followed you, all of you back that mentioned the podcast. So nice to be connected with you over there as well. So if you're on Instagram yourself, I'm at Epic Real Estate, at Epic Real Estate, posting a few times a day, uh, just motivation and tips and stuff to help you escape the rat race. All right. So let's get to the eighth profit accelerator of the badass investor plan, the REI ACE model. And that would be the exit strategy of holding property, right? Because we can flip, we can hold, and we can finance. We're going to talk about holding today. I mean, because, you know, you can get rich flipping properties, but you get wealthy holding them. So if you want to be wealthy or wealthier, you can't afford to ignore this exit strategy, all right? Because if you get this part wrong, you're always going to be flipping and you're always going to be chasing the next deal. And and no matter how much money you make, you spend it, right? We're we're human beings. That's how we operate. If we make a lot of money, we we tend to spend it. And you end up just being broke at a higher level. And and you're always, if you do this part wrong, you're always working. You, You know, you can't take time off because if you do, the money takes its time off too. The money stops, right? And if you get it wrong, you're constantly worried and you're concerned because there's no safety net there, no end in sight because you're just always chasing the next deal. But if you get this part right, you'll have an air of of confidence knowing that you have money coming in, whether you flip that next property or not. Your expenses, they can be managed because your income, it's consistent. And it's entirely within the realm of reality of having the luxury of taking a break when you need it, spending time off with the family, or just getting more you time. And ultimately what's happening underneath is you're getting closer to having the option to never work again. And you're, and you're getting there faster than how 99% of the population is going about it. I always used to be so focused on retirement. I want to get to the point where I don't have to work anymore and because I, I don't want to work anymore because I was just doing something I didn't like. And once I got my cash flow up to this point, I realized I do want to work. I just want to do something different, but I have the option not to. And that's when you get this part right, that's what's available for you, all right? And, uh, you know, it makes me think of um, Epic Pro Academy member Ryan, Ryan Bagley, uh, with the sole focus on buying and holding. He's doing it on the side while he served our country, the Air Force, I believe. And in just a few years, though, he's retired. He retired from the Air Force and relaxing on the beach. I think he just moved to Florida all because he chose to hold more than he sold, all with creative financing structures as well. I tell you, it's not the most exciting road to freedom, but it is the fastest. And I've got to say, at Ryan's young age, retired on the sunny beaches of Florida, that's pretty damn exciting. The road to get there might not have been exciting, but he sure got to the exciting part quickly, and that exciting part's going to last indefinitely as long as he manages his assets well. That's pretty damn badass to me. In fact, just uh, just last week, I think, and as, as actually I was writing this um, this episode and putting this together, uh, like moments after I did, I got a little notification from Facebook, and he had um, posted up on Facebook that uh, 
he put a little post underneath our, um, what do you call it, our, our follow-through Friday inside of our private Facebook group and says, picked up our 26th rental today, and crazy as it seems, my first subject to deal. Thank you, Matt and Mercedes, for showing me the light. A much-needed thank you to my new best bud, Johnny Miller. Fantastic, Johnny. You got a new best friend. And, of course, I can't leave out the lady whose referral made it possible, River Huang. River, fellow Epic Pro Academy member. Uh, contracted this beauty with zero down and zero out of pocket. It's not a myth, but reality. No payments until February 1st, and the house is rent ready. Loan balance is 165 Fair market value is 180 to 185 So, uh, nice one, Ryan. Sounds like a great one. That's, uh, that's Ryan Badass Bagley. So, I've got five hot principles to share with you around holding property today so you can walk in Ryan's footsteps, okay? Number one are the numbers. You got to know the numbers. Number two are the tenants. You got to know how to get the tenants or pick the tenants. Number three, management. And number four, the four profit centers. And five, growth. All right, so of those numbers, tenants, management, four profit centers, and growth, which one do you need most? Think about that. And I'll go over them and then you can uh, tell me afterwards. All right, so point one, uh, numbers. When it comes to holding property, you've got to know your numbers. Specifically, what is it going to cost you to hold the property? Will the, will the uh, property, the income from the property cover those expenses? And ideally, will it leave something left over for you? You know, the basic expenses on a property over an average year, you're looking at taxes, you're looking at insurance, uh, vacancy, maintenance, management, and the debt service if there's any if the property is leveraged. So once you've got the cost down, how much does the property actually generate, right? Is it more than what it costs you? Or can you make up the difference from income somewhere else in your life? I mean, maybe you've got intentions for a property other than cash flow. So if your goal is to hold a property, say for the long run, uh, maybe it's a little bit more of a speculation play um, for appreciation, you're gonna hold it for there. Just make sure either the property can support that or you can support it. Right? You don't want to over leverage yourself to where you know, it, it makes it life really difficult for you to support that property that you're holding. So you got to know the numbers. You got to make sure that it's going to um, either the property supports itself or in some significant, not significant, what the words, I'm not, that's not what I'm looking for. In some specific situations, you might want to hold a property for a while just based on what you see coming down the road. And you want to make sure that you can support it in that sense as well or structure terms of which it allows you to do that. All right, so you got to know your numbers. You got to make sure it's not going to cost you. You got to make sure that's going to pay you. Um, next is the uh, tenants, right? Tenants. Um, we can't have properties without tenants. So the uh, um, not, now not every property that you hold though will have tenants. I mean, maybe you you maybe you're holding vacant land or you're maybe you're holding a lot in a new housing development. But but for the most part, you're going to have tenants. So take your time selecting them. This is it's going to pay huge in the long run by taking your time and being a little bit patient up front. Make sure that they have the ability to pay. Make sure that they haven't any evictions. And then, uh, you know, credit score and criminal records are important considerations as well. But I do believe there are good people out there that have had some bad luck in the past. So I look really for the ability to pay and pay without really an extraordinary effort on their part. And I really turn my nose up on evictions. If you've got an eviction, you're probably not going to get in my house. Now, I don't ignore credit scores, or, and I don't ignore criminal records, certainly not. But I do exercise some discretion at times, and I do kind of evaluate those on a case-by-case basis. There's a big fat depends for those two for me. All right, so tenants, that's number two. Number three, management. 
the most underrated aspect of escaping the rat race. And in many regards, probably the most important piece of the puzzle if you want your income to be more passive than active. Um, I'd say property management is as important, if not even more important than the property itself. And, And in there, you should exercise as much due diligence on your property manager as you do the properties that they'll be managing. I mean, you can manage your own properties. It's fine. You can do that. But it's work. And it's not fun work. And it doesn't pay that much either to manage your properties. Now, on the flip side, you may enjoy this type of work. You know that um, the, you know it might be better than the work than your the work that you're doing currently at your job. That's what people always I always think that's funny um, when they say, uh, you know, I, I don't want to manage property. I can't deal with tenants. I don't want that headache. And I'm just like, but you you've got a job for the next thirty years. That's not a headache. Thinking about that, <laughs> you know, which work would you rather do? The time that gives you you have to work a few days a month to manage your tenants or report to your job, you know, nine to five at best, um, five days a week, right? But uh, it's still work, and it's thankless work as far as managing property. So if you really want to escape the rat race and you want your income to be more passive than active. You don't want to manage your properties most in most cases. Um, I know there's some cuckoo people out there that, that like that type of work. God bless you, and I'm not going to try and dissuade you from doing it. It's just not for me. So you don't want to manage your properties. Um, I don't want to manage my properties, but, but you do want to manage the property manager or managers. Okay, You don't want to manage the properties, but you want to manage the property managers. Now, at this point, the number one question I'll get is, how do you find a good one, right? Boy, isn't that the, the million-dollar question? So the quick answer is you work with a lot of bad ones until you get lucky. Now, that's a little facetious, but it's not too far off from reality. I mean, after all the dirty water that's flowed under this bridge, here's how I do it now. First, I ask for referrals from other satisfied cash-flowing investors in the area. Okay, just go to your RIA, interact with some other investors that are holding properties and find out who they're using. That's a starting point. It's not uh, foolproof by any means, but it's a starting point. Second, I start them off small, right? I start them off with one property and I go through that process and I wait till that one property is up and performing before I give them the next one. I used to go big. I used to say, great, I like you. You got a great operation here. It looks like you got a good team. You got all the experience. You got all these properties. Boom, here's all my properties. Take them. I've been burned on that more than once. So shame on me on the second, third time, right? So start them off small. That's how we do it now. Third, I look for a backup property manager immediately. As soon as I got one, I look for a backup immediately. And then when uh, I'm interacting with them, I always casually mention the other property manager. I let them know about each other. Because what that does is it causes performance to increase and it causes to those expenses to magically decrease. Okay, so there's just this inherent air of, uh, I guess, competition. I don't pit them against each other, but I do casually let them know. I make sure that they do know about each other. Now, I don't know if you'll hear that anywhere else, but that's the safest way that I've found to do it. I've got a lot of properties. I've managed a lot of properties, not just for myself, but for my clients through Cashflow Savvy, and it hasn't been smooth sailing all the time. And so we've made a lot of mistakes. So 
those three steps that we operate now, it's eliminated a lot of the hassle that we experienced in the early years, right? So, so that's number three, property management. Uh, pro- uh, point number four, the for-profit centers. This is a biggie. You know, most people in analyzing deals and, and deciding on whether or not to purchase that property, they're going to look at really just one or two things. I mean, they're, they're going to look at either the cash flow, is this, how much money is this going to make me, how much money is going to put in my pocket, and that's how they make their decision. Or they look at the potential appreciation, right? Now I'm going to buy in a nice area. I know, you know, I know Nike is moving into town. I know that the, the two Fortune 500 companies are also coming. I'm, this is going to really appreciate. There's going to be a giant demand for housing here. So I'm going to buy this one that way. So that's how people look at it, either the cash flow, the appreciation, or, or a combination of both, okay? They'll look for stability in the area and stuff like that. So those are only two profit centers from real estate, right? There are two others that people overlook, almost completely overlook. And they are depreciation and amortization. And I think most people overlook them because they don't understand how they work. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of, they, and they, they kind of work really under the radar. So it's easy to miss them. The profits generated from depreciation and amortization, there aren't as tangible or as noticeable as, you know, cash flow and appreciation are. But don't get it twisted. They are the they are there working for you whether you pay attention to it or not, and it's a good thing. So it's it's safe to say that you all know what cash flow and appreciation is. So I'm just going to skip over that. You all know what that is. Now depreciation is a deduction that the IRS allows you to take each year for the wear and tear on your property. Very nice of them, right? You, you, you can't depreciate the land, but you can depreciate the structure on the land, of which tri- typically uh, that translates to about 80% of what you paid for the property. And you can take this deduction for 27 and a half years. I'm sure there's a reason for that specific number, but I don't know what it is. Um, and I'm sure there's some of you listening right now saying, it's because blah, 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 blah. Well, it doesn't really matter. You just need to know it's 27 and a half years. But it's a very specific number, so I'm wondering how they came up with that. I guess I could go to Google and figure it out, but um, it's not important to me. Uh, but it's 27 and a half years. Now, you may never get to put a $1,000 of depreciation in your pocket. You may never get to put that in your pocket. But indeed, you will be able to keep $1,000 of depreciation in your pocket in the form of you not having to send it to Uncle Sam. Because you don't actually receive the money from your real estate with um, uh, from depreciation. You don't actually receive money. So most people, they don't even notice it. But if you didn't have depreciation, you'd certainly notice it by way of your larger tax bill. You'd notice your larger tax bill for sure. Right? So that that $1,000 that's in your pocket, you get to keep it there. Okay? And not send it to Uncle Sam. You get to use it for you. So depreciation, that's a biggie. It's really big. Now, amortization. This is another profit center that's misunderstood and or ignored. And that's the paying down of the debt on your property. That's the paying down of the debt on your property. And it's not you paying it down, right? No, it's your tenant paying it down for you. You see, each month we we collect our $1,000 of rent, let's say. You pay the property bills, right? And uh, then you pay your debt on the property. And then you're left with this cash flow. Say it's 250 bucks of cash flow, 
and everyone just sort of chalks up the the $750 that went to maintaining the property a loss. Like that's gone, it's disappeared, but it's not, it hasn't disappeared. Okay, so the, there's a portion of, like you got 250 bucks of the cash flow, right? But some of that 750 is yours as well. A portion of that payment you make to your debt, it goes to principal. It's not a complete loss, not by any means. It's a significant gain over time. See, through amortization, your tenant is building your equity. That's how your equity gets built. Your, through amortization, your tenant through amortization builds your equity. So, and as well as appreciation, but right there, like if the nothing else changed, we just lived in a vacuum, that's how the equity is built, is through amortization. So here's an example. If you have a property with a cash on cash return of say 8%, right? Um, actually, that's I was gonna say that's not that great of return these days, but actually it's becoming more and more of a decent return just because of the way the market is going. Um, prices are rising and rents are kind of staying where they are. So those cash on cash returns are um, not double digit, large double digit like they used to be, you know, a few years ago. But anyway, my point is 8% so-so property, okay? Probably not too difficult to find an 8% property for the cash flow. But, uh, and let's say it's in a Midwest Southern community, annual appreciation is maybe two, 3%. Okay, we'll give it 3% annual appreciation. And then uh, depreciation might be around 9%, 7, 9%, somewhere in there. And amortization might be around 5%. So that's a total ROI of 24%. Where in the world are you going to get a 24% return on your money? And when I talk about those numbers, like the, the, the appreciation, the depreciation, the amortization, I mean, if you held that property for three or four years, like you're probably going to, and you took all that return and then you annualized it, that's probably going to come around right at, around a 24%, between 20 and 30% on most, on just a basic property that produces an 8% cash on cash return, total ballpark figures. Uh, but that's, that's a reality. I mean, so if that paid you 24%, where in the world are you going to get 24% return on your money? I mean, I always think it's, it's funny when... People say they had to buy a new water heater for their property and it ate up an entire year's worth of cash flow and what a waste of of time owning that property was. As they forget the other 16% that was still working for them, the other 16% that that grew underneath it. So you, you lost out on one of the profit centers, right? But you had the other three working for you. Now that's all pretty simple math, but that's the gist. That's just an example, okay? I just want to give you give you an idea of how that works. So that's how the for-profit centers work. And it's why real estate has created more wealth than anything else on the planet. Because it's not just based on cash flow. It's not just based on appreciation. You've got depreciation and amortization going in there. Got it? And boy, and you put the leverage part in there and it's five times the, the growth of anything else out there. Okay, it's why real estate has created more wealth than anything else on the planet. So don't ignore all of the profit centers. Just if you, if you're basing all of your decisions off of how much does it cash flow or how much do you expect it to appreciate, you're not looking at the whole picture when you make your decision. Okay, number five, growth. Growth. Now you could hold one property. You can buy a property and just hold on to it forever, and it's going to grow on its own just fine. There won't be anything for you to do except collect the rent and pay the property's expenses, and your wealth will grow. But you can considerably speed up that process by using the profits 
from your property to buy more property. And when those properties, when they appreciate, you refinance them to pull out the money to buy more property. It's a process. It starts off a little slow. You know, like the first couple of years, it's going to feel like nothing's really happening. But a few years down the road, it starts to speed up. And for fourth and fifth year, it starts to speed up really quickly. And I'm just talking like a very basic conservative, you know, let's just uh, buy one property. And as soon as we have enough, we'll buy a next, right? So, and it, but it starts to speed up really quickly. And the idea is to leverage as much as you comfortably can to build your wealth and then eliminate the leverage to sustain your wealth. Got it? So you want to maximize, in my opinion, I think you want to maximize leverage as much as you possibly can to build your wealth. Responsibly, of course. Don't bite off more than you can chew, more than you can pay. But you want to leverage as much as you can. Make sure it all cash flows. And then once your cash flow hits that certain point, now you want to eliminate that leverage to sustain your wealth. So I recommend you just refi, 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 refi until you get your cash flow to a point where it supports you without having to work. And then start allocating extra portions of your cash flow to pay down the debt on your income properties. So your properties buy your properties, they, they help you acquire the properties, and then they help you pay them off. And then you just knock, pick, a, pick out a property, this is the one I'm going to knock down. And I like to always look at the one that, uh, which one has the highest rent? Because if once I eliminate that debt, that creates a, a significant spike into my cash flow, right? So if I had a property that paid me $2,000 in rent, and my debt on that was say $1,000, so I'm making you know maybe 500 bucks of cash flow on that, but once I pay off that $1,000 debt, that $500 of cash flow on that property probably just went to about $1,500. So that's why I like to look at the, the highest ones first. Once you hit that point, okay? So just knock them down one at a time if you've, and you'll have paid, or you've, you've had the, all of these free and clear properties of which essentially, not essentially, it literally does skyrocket your cash flow. I guess it, I can't say literally with a skyrocket. So it's still a metaphor, but it boosts your cash flow significantly. And when there's really no, when there's no longer any debt on the properties to pay. How cool is that, right? I mean, it's so cool that you need to hold properties. You don't get to do any of this if all you're doing is flipping properties and contracts. All you're doing is you're worried about your marketing campaign and you're trying to get deals and then you're chasing deals and you're out there wheeling and dealing and you're flipping properties and you know, it, it does, you can make a lot of money doing that. Okay. Flipping should, flipping properties, that should be the cash that fuels the acquisition and management of your cash flow, right? You need both parts for a while, but eventually you don't need to flip. You can flip as long as you want. I'm not saying don't because sometimes the cash is good and you want to keep doing it, but you get to a point where you don't need to do it. You don't need to get up and chase that next deal and chase that next seller down. Okay, so do both if you want, but don't neglect holding properties. You know, you can create through, through your job or through another uh, endeavor. You can create the, this type of cash that uh, you would flipping properties, but you got to buy properties to hold. Okay, so, so do both of those strategies if you want. And if you got something else that's going to produce the cash to help you buy properties to hold, do that. But yeah, just essentially don't neglect holding the properties or all of the wealth and freedom that real estate promises will never be yours. You got to hold. All right. So to recap the uh, five hot principles, one is the, the numbers, two is the tenants, three is management, four are the profit centers, and five is growth, how you create that. Now, if you need any help with any of this, 
or you flat out just want someone to do it for you, like it just sounded like a ton of work, it probably makes sense to have a conversation with Mercedes. Have a, a conversation with Mercedes at Cashflow Savvy. It's what she does all day. And so she'd love to have that conversation with you. And you can book a call with her at callmercedes.net. Got it? callmercedes.net. And you can jump on her calendar and, uh, you know, you can pick her brain and maybe there's something we can do for you or maybe that we can point you in a direction where it might be a better fit for you depending on where you are in your situation and what your preferences are, what your end goal is. If you want to have that conversation with her, callmercedes.net. Alrighty, so that's it for today. God bless and to your success, I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. You've been listening to Epic Real Estate Investing, the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the BS in real estate investing education. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to visit iTunes and share your thoughts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here at Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.